What up, what up, guys? Thank you so much for tuning in. Today is the second episode of our series, Deciding Points in Our Military Careers. And what you're going to hear is our co-host, Jess, her crazy up, down, back, forth, round and round story. And we know you guys have been waiting to hear it, so we're going to bring it to you now. So thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the show. What up, what up, guys? Thank you for joining us today on the Common Warrior Podcast. It's your boy, Rusty, and with me is the awesome J-Dub. What's up? What's going on? How's everybody doing? Man, we are back, and we are diving into the second episode of this impromptu series that we had no plan on and just kind of happened. So we're going to hear what you guys have all been waiting for, Jess's story on her deciding points on why she can't make up her mind what branch or what you know status she wants to be in. So I know I'm excited. I haven't honestly heard, you know, every bit of it. I just know, you know, the the overview of how you've gone about it and when you did it and stuff like that. And I lost timeline because I swear you did the whole army thing before I even got to Lake and Heath. And here you are telling me you did it while I was at Lake and Heath. I was like, holy shit. Like that wasn't that long <laughs> ago. But guys, I can't really say more because this is all about Jess. What did you do? Why'd you do it? And how'd you come about it? So please enlighten us. All right. Well, um, I guess the first topic I'll cover is uh, when I decided to separate from active duty the first time and join the Air National Guard. So uh, went on active duty in 2006, um, did a couple of deployments. And on my second deployment to Bagram, I was kind of sitting there thinking to myself, like, I'm, I'm not really feeling this. Um, unfortunately, I'd had some markdowns on my EPR, had some uh, some leadership that was not supportive, and I felt like I was not getting where I wanted to be in my career. I wasn't meeting my goals because um, one of the goals that I had at that time was to commission while I was still on active duty, and I was slowly watching those dreams just fade away. Uh, some of it was because of me. Some of it was because of my leadership. Hindsight 2020, we learn, you know, as we grow. But I decided um, while I was on that deployment, I, I want to say it was in December of 2012, that I was going to start looking into the Palace Chase program. And essentially, Palace Chase allows you to separate from active duty halfway through your enlistment contract and finish out that contract in the Air National Guard. It essentially doubles your time, right? So I had two years of active duty on that enlistment contract, and I would have had to serve four in the Air National Guard to make up that time. So kind of kicked the idea down the road, got home from that deployment, as I talked about in episode three, uh, Mental Health Matters, um, had some mental health issues, had some stuff I had to get taken care of. Uh, if you guys have not heard that episode yet, um, I do go in depth about that story. So please check that out uh, to kind of fill in the, that gap. But I was placed on a profile about three months long. So in August was when I had the incident. Uh, November was when my profile had expired. So the day after my profile expired, I actually sent the paperwork up to my commander to get signed for him to initially approve me to separate from active duty. It got approved. At that time, I was dealing with the in-service recruiter who was on the reserve side, and she was essentially a liaison between the active duty component and the guard and reserve. So what she did was she funneled all of my paperwork from the active duty side over to the guard recruiter who was going to bring me on to the guard side. 
I had a couple of options for units that I was going to go to. Uh, the first one was the 149th down in San Antonio. And the second one was the 150th at Kirtland in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mind you, at that time, I was at Holloman. So I'd already been to Albuquerque a couple times. Um, I was debating between where I wanted to go because I loved San Antonio. It kind of felt like home to me. But I wanted to try something new at the same time. And when I kind of talked about in episode three where I was in a really shitty relationship at the time, I was in that relationship and my significant other lived in Albuquerque. So I made an emotional decision and I decided to go to Albuquerque instead of going to San Antonio. So they processed all my paperwork, uh, got me approved at the unit level. Uh, my guard recruiter at the 150th started working everything for me. And about two weeks before I was supposed to start out processing, AFPC called me on my cell phone and said, hey, Sergeant Jennings, we haven't received all of your paperwork for your separation for Palace Chase. I was like, what do you mean you haven't received my paperwork? And they were like, we haven't gotten it from your in-service recruiter. I said, I sent it to her 30 days ago. And they were like, well, we haven't gotten it. And if we don't get it by COB today, your Palace Chase application is going to be canceled and you're going to have to wait six months to apply. So needless to say, I was freaking the fuck out because I had already gotten an apartment in Albuquerque. I had signed the lease. I had already got my TMO set up. I was ready to get out. Like I was ready to go. So I called my answerist recruiter and I said, hey, ma'am, uh, AFPC just called me on my cell phone and told me that they don't have my paperwork. And she was like, you got to be kidding me. I sent it up. I was like, well, they're saying they don't have it. So she said, okay, let me, let me check my email. Let me see what's going on. Long story short, she never sent it. So she ended up sending it to AFPC that day. And the next day I got the email saying that I was approved for Palace Chase. Uh, this was in February of 2014. Yeah, right at the beginning of February. And I finaled out from Holloman at the beginning of March 2014 and enlisted in the Air National Guard in April 2014. I was still in the 2S crew field, so I was still in material management supply. And I spent about a year in supply in the Air National Guard. And then I did some time on active duty orders, Title 10, just kind of picking up some active duty time because I had two goals when I joined the Guard. The first goal was either to commission or to go AGR, which is Active Guard and Reserve. For those of you who don't know what that program is, it essentially allows you to maintain an active duty status with a guard unit. Uh, You still get the same active duty benefits. You're just Title 32 instead of Title 10. So I interviewed for an AGR position. Unfortunately, I did not get the AGR position. Um, so I started kind of looking at, you know, what can I do for a commission? Um, how can I go about that? Cause I was working on my bachelor's degree at the time and a position opened up at the maintenance group as a GS nine. So it was an air reserve technician position and I went and interviewed for it cause I figured, fuck it, why not? Got nothing to lose. Um, and I ended up getting the job. So when I got the job with maintenance, I had to cross train into my current career field, which is maintenance plans and scheduling. It's a 2R series, 2R1 specifically. Um, So I decided to cross-train. At the time, I didn't really need to cross-train because the way that the guard was doing their manning documents, they were going to change it to a UDM position, the the position that I was in because it was plans and programs. But my chief was like, hey, it would be a good idea for you to cross-train because if we do have an EGR position come open in the maintenance group, 
then you have a better chance of getting into a 2R slot than you do an 8U slot. So I took his advice and I cross-trained. I went to tech school as an E6 uh, prior service in 2015. Actually met one of my troops that I am stationed with now. Great guy. Um, and when I came back to my unit, I did all of my upgrade training that I would have normally done in any other career field. Got my five level, continued to do that job, plans and programs, UDM, security manager, uh, resource advisor. Um, and then I was still trying to meet the goal of commissioning. I was like, I still want to try to commission. At that time in the Air Force, you could only have tattoos that covered 25% of the exposed body part in short sleeve blues. Well, I had one too many tattoos to meet the criteria. So The funniest thing is that you have so many officers with full sleeves yeah. serving, and yet they wouldn't let you go to officer school if you had too many. Yep, exactly, <sighs> exactly. And I had a friend who had just gone through uh, OTS with the Air Force, and I had him actually measure my tattoos for me to tell me that I was disqualified. He was like, Jess, I hate to say this, but you got to get at least one of these fucking nautical stars removed. And I was like, fuck. And those of you who know me, um, if you haven't seen pictures of me before, I have two full sleeve tattoos. I have nautical stars all on my right forearm. Um, I didn't have that much at that time. But this was before the Air Force had decided to change their tattoo policy. I mean, right before. So he was like, you're SOL. And I was like, fuck. So... <clears throat> This is where I should have went and talked to a recruiter, not saying that my friend was wrong because he was trying to guide me in the right way, but I didn't know that they actually could have waived it. And instead, uh, I got a wild hair up my ass and I was like, well, fuck, what do I do now? So I talked to a friend of mine about it and he was like, well, hey, dude, why don't you uh, join the Army Guard? I was like, join the Army Guard? He goes, yeah, join the Army Guard, go get your commission. Do your four years and then come back to the Air Guard. They'll transfer you back as an officer. And I was like, you know what? Again, what have I got to lose besides my job, which I had to quit? So I went and talked to an Army Guard recruiter. And I was like, hey, um, I actually want to try to be a warrant officer because I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. And he was like, well, you know, you're working on your bachelor's degree. You're getting pretty close to finishing. He goes, you should really just try to commission as, you know, a normal commissioned officer. And I was like, well, what all does that entail? And he goes, well, because you're prior service, uh, you're going to have to go back through basic training. And I said, all right, well, I'm in pretty decent shape, so can't be that bad, right? He goes, yeah, if you're physically fit, it looks like your PT scores are good. You'll be fine. You can go through basic training again. And I was like, all right, man, sign me up. So I had to do what was called a uh, conditional release from the Air National Guard. Essentially, what a conditional release does is it allows you to leave the current component that you're in, whatever branch it is, Air Force, Army, Navy, Marines, and it allows you to join another branch without a break in service. So I had to have my commander hack off on that. They didn't want to let me go, and I understand why, because uh, the job that I was in was hard to fill as it was. But they were supportive, and they did. They signed off on it, and they were like, hey, good luck. You know, do what you got to do. So in October of 2016, I went back through basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. It was very windy, very cold. Uh, that's where I met Jeanette. If you guys have not listened to episode four, she's on there. She's also a prior Navy veteran. And 
when I went through basic training the second time, it was a lot more physically demanding than it was the first time when I went through with the Air Force. Now, granted, I was in good shape. I was ready to go. I didn't have any problem passing the PT test. I didn't have any problem getting the shit smoked out of me. None of that. But it was 12 weeks long. You're running around with a bunch of gear on. You're running around in your boots. My body just wasn't used to it. So I get back from basic training in January of 2017. My unit was not tracking that I was supposed to be starting uh, OCS the following weekend. Because the program that I was on was what they call a uh, a state OCS program. So you basically go through OCS as a traditional guardsman. So you do your one week in a month, your two weeks out of the year, and it's an 18-month program. And the reason why I had to do this as opposed to federal OCS was because I enlisted a month before I completed my bachelor's degree. So I kind of got fucked on that one because when I enlisted, I was a month shy. When I left for basic training, I had completed my bachelor's degree already. And they wouldn't waive it to let me go to federal OCS and just ship me down to what was Fort Benning. February rolls around and my unit's like, hey, we need you to come check in for drill. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I went and checked in. Um, I was still in a like a recruiting holdover unit at the time. And I was talking to one of the staff sergeants and she was like, hey, uh, I think you're supposed to be over in uh, OCS next month. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, I'll report to OCS. What, what do I need to do? And excuse me, my reporting instructions. And I talked to uh, the Sergeant First Class out there who was kind of our cadre. And he said, were you not tracking that you were supposed to be here in February? And I was like, no, Sergeant, I was not tracking that I was supposed to be here in February. He was like, yeah, your orientation weekend was in February, not March. Like, you're going to be starting without an orientation. You're, you're going to be starting fresh the first, like, weekend of OCS. It's like your hell weekend. And I was like, right on. So I'm going to just get thrown straight into the fucking fire. So that's basically what happened. I had to check in. Like, <clears throat> the way that it worked was you did a half day on a Friday. You did all day Saturday, and then they released you Sunday evening. So you stayed up in Santa Fe that whole weekend. So I had to get there at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning so I could get all my initial issue, change into my uniform, do everything. And then I had to check in with the cadre. Well, once noon hits, you're theirs. And we got the shit smoked out of us that entire first half day. I mean, all the way up until like 11 o'clock at night. I'm jumping over beds, jumping under beds, fucking pick them up, put them down. It's just everything you can think of, right? So the very next morning, we get up at like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. We have to take a PT test because we had to PT test every weekend. I max my run. Almost max my push-ups, max my sit-ups, and then we have to go in and do a weigh-in. I weighed in, I stepped off the scale, and as soon as I stepped off the scale, I felt something happening with my knee. It, like, locked up. And I couldn't understand what was going on because that had never happened to me before. So my knee locks up, I walk off, and I'm kind of, like, limping, and I'm like, well, this is fucking weird. Like, what's going on? So. I walk around a little bit, and I'm like, well, maybe my knee just needs to pop, right? You know, that feeling like we, like we need to pop a knuckle or something. I'm like, maybe that's just what I need to do. So I kept trying to get my knee to pop. Kept kept trying and kept trying. Well, as the day went on, my knee just started getting worse and worse and worse. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Well, the next day, 
we had a run ruck to prep us for phase one, because this was phase zero of OCS. Phase one was supposed to be in Kansas, up at a, up in Salina, Kansas. So I'm getting ready to go out for this run ruck, and my knee is just fucking killing me. I had gone to the dock the night before and gotten some ibuprofen, and I mean, just fucking loaded up. I think I took like three, 4,000 milligrams of ibuprofen the night before. And then I took more the next morning because I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to punk out of this, right? So I get started on the ruck and I'm running and I'm walking and I'm running and I'm walking. And I get about two miles in and I can't move. Like, I cannot walk at all. One of the captains, the cadre there, he comes up to me and he's like, Jennings, what's going on? And I said, sir, I'm, uh, I'm hurting. And he was like, are you hurt or are you injured? And I was like, I think I'm injured. And he goes, do you know the difference? And I said, yeah, I know the difference. I've been, I've been working out long enough. And he goes, if you're injured, you need to get in the van. Because we had a van following us for anybody who got hurt. And I said, sir, I'm not going to quit. And he goes, this isn't about quitting. This is about the fact that your body can't do what you need it to do right now. And I said, sir, no, that's quitting. If I get in that van, it's quitting. And he was like, listen to me. You may think it's quitting, but none of us see it that way if you're actually injured. So are you injured? And I was like, yes, sir, I'm injured. And he goes, take your ruck off and get in the fucking van. I was like, yes, sir. So I did. And I was sitting in the van, and we were just following the whole squad as they were out doing this run ruck. And I was just sitting in the back trying not to cry because I was so embarrassed. So we get back to the uh, to the rally point. And my company commander comes up to me, and he's like, Jennings, give me your ruck. Because our rucks had to be 35 pounds. So I hand him the ruck. He throws it on the scale. He checks it. It's 35 even. And he's like, so your ruck's not too heavy. He goes, so what's going on? And I said, sir, it's my knee. And he goes, well, what's wrong with your knee? And I said, I can't move it. I was like, it just feels like it's locked up. And he was like, all right, let's go see the doc again. I was like, okay, got it, sir. So I go and see the doc again. And she's like, yeah, you're kind of swollen up. She's like, don't do any more running for the rest of the weekend. You need to get it healed up. I was like, all right, cool. So I get through the rest of the weekend. We do some land nav stuff. I'm sitting there, my fucking knees throbbing. And finally, by the end of the day, they dismiss us. And they're like, all right, we'll see you guys next month. Here's all the shit you need to study. And I get in my truck and I start driving home. And it was about a 45-minute drive. And I just remember, like, bawling my fucking eyes out. Because I had worked so fucking hard to get to where I was just to be an officer candidate. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, what the fuck, man? Like, I have, I, I've been killing it in the gym. I'm running the fastest I've ever run in my life. I'm in the best shape of my life. And now my fucking knee just decides, no, nah, we're not going to do this anymore. And that whole drive home, I just kept thinking to myself, like, what the fuck am I going to do if I don't heal up and I can't go to phase one? It's just going to put me back. I'm going to have to wait another fucking year. And I'm going to have to go back to that recruiting battalion and just sit there and do absolutely nothing. And remember, I didn't have a full-time job at this time. I was going to school full-time, so I wasn't making shit for money. I was just using my GI Bill and my drill paychecks to pay the bills. And I had a house that I had to pay for. That car ride home was the hardest car ride I've ever had in my life because I knew 
the moment that I pulled away from that armory that I wasn't going to commission anymore. At that moment, I was going to have to drop from the course. Not because I didn't think my knee was going to heal or I didn't think that I could do it because I knew I could do it. I knew that it was going to take too long to get in to see my doctor before I could even start healing and think about trying to go up to Kansas for phase one. So that point in my career was a very pivotal moment because I had been in the military for 10 years at that point. And I was like, I'm going to write out the last 10 years in the army. I'll retire from the army as an officer. You know, I had these goals. I wanted to go to ranger school as a female. I wanted to fucking do air assault. Like I had all these fucking goals. I was like, finally, all this fucking military shit that I've been wanting to do for the last 10 years, I finally have the chance to do this shit. And then I couldn't anymore. So I ended up getting an MRI done about three weeks after uh, my knee had kind of done what it had done. And they came back and they were like, yeah, you have telephomoral syndrome. And I was like, all right, cool. So I, uh, I had to do treatment. I had to get injections in my knee um, like every two weeks. My doc was able to do them. But mind you, those injections take a while because I had to go through TRICARE. I was on TRICARE Reserve Select. So I had to get the authorization process. I had to get everything scheduled, set up. By the time I started getting my injections done, my squad was shipping out for phase one for OCS. At the time, I was still with my significant other. And he was about to undergo a very massive spinal surgery. So I hadn't dropped from the course yet. But I knew that physically I could not go to phase one. And I knew gonna go he was gonna undergo that kind of surgery and he was gonna need my help, right? So I sacrificed my career goals for him and because I was too injured to keep going. And I had to call my company commander and tell him I'm sorry, sir, but I can't continue in the course, and I need to do a drop-on request. And I had to do an official request to drop out of OCS. So I joined the Army without an MOS. I was a 09 Sierra, which is an officer candidate. That's it. And they make you pick a backup MOS when you join as a 09 Sierra in case something does happen and, like, you drop from OCS or they don't think that you're good enough to keep going and they drop you themselves. And I had picked 68 Whiskey to be combat medic. And I was like, fuck, I can't even go to AIT right now because I can't even fucking run. Like, I'm, like I was an E6. I was not about to go to a fucking AIT and be around all these young soldiers and not be able to perform. Because that's not what you do as a leader, right? Um, at that point, I still had a very good friend in the Air National Guard um, who knew some folks. And I called him up and I was like, hey, look, this is a big ask, but is there any way that I can come back to the Air Guard? He said, because I have nothing going for me in the Army because I'm not going to be an OCS anymore. And he was like, yeah. He goes, no sweat. We'll get it done. It took about four months, um, but almost a year to the day that I had left the Air Guard to join the Army Guard, I was back in the Air Guard. 
and about two weeks after that, I got my job back as an artist. I, I tell that story and it took me a long, long time to tell that story because that was a very impactful event in my life because I felt like a complete fucking failure. Not because my knee had gotten fucked up like it had, but because I chose to give up on my goals, not solely because of an injury, but because of someone else who ended up trying to destroy my fucking life. And to to go from being as successful as I had been to now having to go with my fucking tail tucked in back to the air guard, asking him if they'll take me back after I was so confident that I was going to, the next time I came back, I was going to be an officer, right? Came right back as an E6. But I am grateful for the people who stuck their necks out for me and pushed and pushed and pushed to get me back because I would not be where I'm at now if it hadn't been for that. Would you say that because of like actual really good caring leadership back at the air, your goal in mind that you, that you wanted achieved, but they still are like, well, hell yeah, we'll make this happen because we didn't want to lose you in the first place. We value you too much. So yeah. I think that, you know, that right there is an excellent uh, display of good, caring leadership willing to fight for their people. And that's extremely rare. And yeah. I also want to say it's probably because it's guard versus active duty. Because I feel like active duty, they, I don't know what it is about somebody doing full-time and part-time, but full-time people just don't seem to have that level of, I care about you. Yeah. To focus on the rat race, but then when you go to part time, there, I don't think I've met a guard or reserve person who didn't love their life, you know? Yep. <laughs> so, and it just, it, it still blows my mind, but I think that shows the true value of like, you know, we, we supported you to go do what you wanted to do to achieve your goal, but we're very happy that you came back because we didn't want to lose you in the first place. Yeah, for sure. Um, and unfortunately, it, it wasn't like that with everyone in the Air Guard. Most of the folks that I met, though, in that unit, yes, 100%. Um, it's funny that you bring that up, actually, about leadership, because that is what leads to my next career pivot uh, coming back on active duty. Yeah, so when I came back to the Air Guard, uh, came back into my art position, uh, did that for a little bit, and then I had a friend hit me up. I I wasn't expecting to talk about this, but I'm going to anyway. Um, I had a friend hit me up. He was like, hey, we're over here hiring for this uh, some contract work uh, over at the Nuclear Weapons Center. And I was like, huh, how much are they paying? Because contractors get paid pretty well. And he was like, it, it, you'll be able to pay the bills, no sweat. And I was like, all right. Because mind you, GS9 pay without your VA disability, which I did not have because I did not claim my disability when I got out. <laughs> it's not much when you have a mortgage payment. So I was making ends meet, but barely. And I I loved my job. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely loved my job. I just was not making the money that I needed to be able to actually thrive. I was only surviving. And that's not how I wanted to be coming off of active duty. I wanted to thrive, not survive. So when my friend hit me up with this opportunity, um, shot in my resume, I got hired. Um, it wasn't that quick of a process, but just to paraphrase. 
Um, and I spent about eight months doing some contract work. And I was actually working with some active duty folks and uh, some retirees, all Air Force folks. Um, and they were great. I loved everybody I worked with. Um, but I, I remember the first couple of months, I was just kind of thinking to myself, like, man, I, I kind of miss this life. I kind of miss that active duty life. Um, not the bullshit, because there's a lot of bullshit that you have to deal with on active duty, as my folks on active duty know. But I missed leading. I missed leading troops. Because the position I was in in the Guard, yes, I got to mentor. Yes, I got to lead. Um, and I'm not, you know, discrediting that at all. But I missed being able to do it on a day-to-day -day basis. And I was working with some young lieutenants. And they kind of reminded me of why I continued to serve, continuing to take care of people and look after people. And guys, there's no greater feeling than watching someone go from being brand new to just completely surpassing your expectations. And I missed having that feeling of being able to, to do that for someone and to watch someone grow like that. Because I didn't have that much of an opportunity when I was in the guard. I had a, I had a little bit of it, but not as much. I kind of just started thinking to myself, like, man, I wish I could retire and get one of these contract gigs and, you know, get my VA disability and, and make just bukus of money, right? Because um, that's who I was working with. All these guys were getting, you know, all their disability and they were getting a retirement check and they were collecting that check from that job and they were they were living the good life. You know, I was seeing fucking dollar signs. I wasn't really worried about anything else. So. I started thinking about coming back on active duty and it wasn't the first time I had thought about it. Like the year after I had palace chased, I was like, man, I should have just fucking stayed on active duty. Like I would have probably been in Korea by now if I had just stayed because I was working with a bunch of active duty folks where I was at. And I was like, I'm wearing my uniform every day, just like I did, you know, for the last seven and a half, eight years, I'm just getting paid half the amount of money. And I was doing the same amount of work. So I was like, if I'm going to wear my uniform every day and I'm going to do the same amount of work, might as well just fucking be on active duty. And I got lucky because in October of 2018, the start of fiscal year 19, the Air Force accepted 350 people back onto active duty, and I happened to be one of them. I started the process um, through a friend of mine, real good friend of mine, um, just kind of hitting her up. She's been a recruiter for a long time. And I was like, yo, dog. Looking at going back on active duty, what you know. And she was like, hey, I got a buddy out in Albuquerque. Go talk to him. Um, if he can't help you out, he'll get you somebody who can. And I was like, all right, cool. So I went and talked to him. Unfortunately, he was on the other side of town. That was the only reason why I didn't end up sticking with him as a recruiter. Um, I ended up sticking with somebody who was a little bit closer to where I had lived. Just because anybody in a big city knows 30 minutes can take an hour and a half, depending on traffic. And Albuquerque traffic is absolute garbage. So I just... I didn't want to have to deal with that. Um, so went to a recruiter in Albuquerque. He was real young um, to the recruiting field. And he had never worked with prior service before. When you come back onto active duty as prior service, you got to go through everything that the non-priors do. With the exception of MEPS, if you are currently serving in a reserve component. Because all you need is 422 from your reserve component clearing you to go back on active duty. Which is where I got lucky. So from start to finish, process takes eight months. Um, started in October of 2018. In March of 2019, I'm like, where's my paperwork at? What's going on? AFPC was taking a while. And I was like, 
I should have an assignment by now. I should have an assignment by now because I'd already quit my other job. So I'm living off savings right now, right? So that was another mistake that I made. I shouldn't have done that. But we we live and we learn. So my recruiter calls me. And I was, thankfully, again, this is where the good leadership comes in. My unit had put me on temporary AGR orders. So I was collecting some active duty time. Here's where my leadership kind of failed me. So I had a bit of a disagreement. Um, bit of an incident with uh, one of the officers that I worked for. <laughs> this officer was not a fan of the fact that I had left the Air Guard to join the Army Guard and then came back. Basically, they saw it as me using my position in the maintenance group as just a hop-along to get from one step to the next, and that I wasn't actually serious about staying there as a full-time employee. My supervisor, my chief, my uh, my flight commander, all advocated for me to have an AGR position because they knew how hard it was to fill the job that I was in. And this particular officer was like, no, absolutely not. She will not get an AGR position because she left to go join the army and she fucked up and now she's back. So we're not giving her an AGR. What position was she in to make that fucking call? Uh, my deputy group commander. Wow. Yeah. So. At the time, I was pretty salty, and basically, I did not say this to my deputy group commander's face, but I was like, fuck you, man. Fuck you. So I was like, well, cool. I'm going to go back on active duty then, since you guys don't want me, clearly. So that's exactly what I did. Um, so getting back to the temp AGR, my group commander allowed me to be on temporary AGR orders. Which then my chief was like, well, what the fuck? You're going to put her on temporary AGR, but you're not going to make her a full-up AGR. That's a little fucked up, don't you think? And then the whole, oh, well, she left already, blah, blah, blah. Whatever, man. So anyway, I uh, get my assignment in March of 2019. And my recruiter's all excited. He calls me and he's like, hey, finally got your assignment. And I was like, sweet. Where am I going? And he's like, um, it says here the 27th Special Operations Maintenance Group. And I was like, mind you, I'm at Kirtland, right? This is AETC, Hapsock. This is where they train the dudes that go to Cannon. I'm standing there with the active duty group chief, who was fantastic. And I'm on speakerphone, and he's like, you're going to Cannon? And I was like, fuck, man, I'm going to Cannon! <laughs> I love how he presented that to you, though. You're going to the 27th Special Operations Maintenance Group. Like, you weren't eventually going to find out that the 27 is fucking canon. As soon as he said 27, I knew exactly where he was talking about because uh, we, they had literally been training me at Kirtland. And they were yeah. like, oh, yeah, Cannon's the 27. As soon as he said 27, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. I was so upset. And, at, and mind you, I had gotten married yeah. in October, right? Like, I, like, backtracking a little bit but i got married in october of 2018 because at the time my my spouse and i were going to go back on active duty together but my spouse decided the day that i put my paperwork in to go back on active duty that they were not going to go back on active duty with me they were going to join the guard that i was leaving so i i call my spouse and i'm like hey guess what we're going to Clovis, New Mexico, and I get 
are you fucking kidding me? And I'm like, no, I'm not kidding you. We're going to Cannon. I'm going to my third base in New Mexico. And only one of them has been by choice. So I hadn't enlisted at this point. I just had the assignment and then I'd gotten all my paperwork to enlist. So there were, there were nights where I was just sitting there in bed and I was like, I don't have to sign this enlistment paperwork. I don't have to, I really don't have to reenlist right now. But then I was like, fuck, I don't have a job. So I kind of need to enlist. And you know, I just, I kind of got to the point where I was like, fuck, I, I just got to do this shit. Like I got to do it. And there's no turning back now. Cause I've already committed to this decision. I just got to fucking roll with it. Right. So I reenlisted, got to Cannon in April of 2019, and I have been here ever since. I struggled a lot because I cross-trained into a career field while I was in the Guard. I didn't really work that job when I was in the Guard. I had to learn how to do this job on active duty as an E6. That is a very, very difficult thing to do. When you're a technical sergeant, you're supposed to be a technical expert. And you're not because you cross-trained in your career field late in your career. Now, granted, most people were pretty understanding. Um, when I wear my uniform, I wear both of my occupational badges because, A, I'm proud that I have two AFSCs because I think that's important. And, B, I didn't want anyone to think that I grew up in this career field and I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Because I never want to look that fucking stupid. I'm not going to know it all. I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room. but I'm going to figure it the fuck out because that has literally been the story of my career is figuring it the fuck out. Like here, we're throwing you into this random position, figure it out. But a lot of the decisions that I've made in my career have put me in a place where I will never be an expert at any one particular thing. I will always be a jack of all trades and a master of none. And there are a lot of days when I come home from work and I think to myself, fuck, I wish I could be a master of what I did. Like, there are days where I envy Rusty because he spent 13 years in the same career field. Even though he hated it, <clears throat> the motherfucker knows what he's talking about. Like, I can promise you that because there have been plenty of times where he and I have talked about supply stuff and I think to myself, damn, this dude fucking knows what he's talking about. Like, fuck, he came in after I did, you know? But, I'm glad because he didn't have to go down the road that I did. He didn't have to follow that same map, even though he did want to cross train, right? Um, but it is a very, very difficult thing to do. And it takes a certain kind of person to make the decisions and to live the life that I have lived. Do I regret it? Not on most days. There are decisions that I do regret. And there, those are decisions that I'll probably always regret. Dropping out of OCS, I will always regret. Was that because you probably were more emotional when you did it versus uh, yeah. logical? Yeah, hundred yeah, um, percent. I mean, leaving active duty the first time was an emotional decision. I was pissed mm -hmm. off, right? Because I had gotten marked down on my EPR. I wanted to commission. I knew that dream was gone. I wanted to be near the person I was madly in love with who turned out to be a complete psychopath. Um, and I made a lot of emotional decisions <clears throat> in my mid to late 20s that I wish I would have taken more time to think on. But, you know, like we talked about, you know, um, when you were going over your story, Rusty, you, you make these decisions and it puts you on a path. And regardless of what path that is, it's probably the path that you're meant to be on. Because I look back now and I'm like, 
okay, I could have stayed on active duty and I'd be three years from retirement, right? Right, right now, I'm sitting at about six and a half years till I can retire with 20 good years of active duty. But I probably wouldn't have my bachelor's degree. I wouldn't have my master's degree because I wouldn't have had time to go to school or I wouldn't have yeah. actually made the time to really go to school like I did. And I wouldn't have been in the Army. I learned a lot of leadership lessons in the Army. Because let me tell you, the Army knows how to grow some fucking leaders. The Air Force lacks on it. And that's that's me saying that from being a soldier and from being an airman. The Air Force does not know how to fucking grow leaders. They think they, they do. And the fact that you learned that in a in a small cup of coffee stint in the fucking army speaks speaks a lot on how I hate that you know these senior leaders because what I do is I call it the top brass right you got these big guys up in Washington Virginia and the Pentagon so you got the top brass then yeah. you have the en- then you have the top enlisted but I just call them the enlisted politicians because all they do is fucking play politics up there. And talk about how they care about us at the bottom. They care about, you know, trying to do what's right for the force as a whole to help grow and, you know, and, and just take care of us. Yep. And they don't do shit to do anything. The, the only top enlisted person that has ever done anything, at, at least meaningful, and what I could see is that the past 15, 20 years was Chief Wright. Yeah. I mean, he, it's hard to follow up on that. Like, he made so much logical decisions on cutting shit that was stupid, implementing stuff that was actually helpful. And he, he grew the entire force as a whole without, you know, seeing 99% of us just because he was that good of a top enlisted leader. Yep. And then you have who you guys have now, which, you know, I have a very, very strong opinion on, but they haven't done a goddamn thing for anybody. Like you said, very short time in the army um, taught me a lot because I remember my first weekend at drill in the recruit battalion. Um, I was wearing my staff sergeant stripes because I was E6, staff sergeant in the army. And this uh, sergeant first class comes up to me and pulls me aside because I was standing in line because in the Air Force, like when it's time to eat, everybody eats, right? Nobody puts rank around anything except usually the officers will, uh, which I respect. But the NCO Corps, we don't really do that, right? Um, and I had never really learned that lesson about, you know, leaders eat last. Well, he taught me that lesson. I would not have learned that if I had not joined the Army because the Air Force doesn't teach it that way. And now, and it, it has honestly changed me. Like, that was one of those defining moments where I had, like, an epiphany when he pulled me aside because he was very respectful about it. He was like, hey, look, I know they do it different in the Air Force. He goes, but in the Army? As an E6, he goes, you don't eat before the privates do. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, my bad, aren't. I didn't know. And he was like, I know. That's what I'm telling you. He goes, just don't do it anymore. And I was like, got it. Dragon. I don't do that anymore. I, like, at the end of the day, at the end of the workday, when my people leave, then I will leave. I only leave before my troops do if I have to. Um, and, I mean, there are days where, you know, things happen, right? But I really try to keep in the forefront of my mind that leaders eat last because that's a principle. It's not just a saying. Um, And I got taught that in the Army. And I've carried that with me into the Air Force. And I try to teach my people that too. And my people don't understand it because we're not raised like that in the Air Force. But I try to teach that to them. Like, hey, always put your people first Um, in, in any situation that you can, right? 
to kind of wrap this up because I've talked for a long time and uh, I know you guys were all very curious to hear why Rusty had mentioned that I was kind of on the fence about leaving active duty not too long ago. So when I mentioned that I had gone through TAP in January, I had planned on separating. And a lot of it had to do with not being that subject matter expert in my career field because I'm an E7 now, right? I should be that subject matter expert. I should know everything about my career field if I had followed a traditional career path and I didn't. Um, and a lot of people, honestly, like I've talked to chiefs, I've talked to seniors. They're like, your career path is crazy, but you know, you got a lot of different fucking skills. This is incredible. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not really good at just one thing. I'm just okay at a lot of things. Um, and I always make jokes, you know, like I tell people like the most mediocre senior NCO you're ever going to meet, right? Like I'm the okayest NCO. Um, because I'm, you know, I'm not one of those SMEs. But I can tell you, I may not be a SME, but I will look after you. I may not look after you in the way that you want me to. I may hold you accountable for shit. I may have been too nice at one point, and now maybe I might be getting on your ass telling you that you're fucking up or I'll just tell you that you're fucking up and not even yell at you but I'm gonna take care of you because I care because that is one thing that this crazy map of a journey over my career is not going to change I will always care about my people and I will always do my best to take care of them sometimes my best isn't the greatest but I'm going to give you the best that I can that day so as of right now I will be remaining on active duty to try to finish out the rest of my time. I, uh, because I, I am very much similar to Rusty, um, because I care about people and I want to take care of people. Um, if I don't end up in a developmental position with my career field, I plan to apply to become a first sergeant because I am passionate about people and I want to take care of people. And the job of a first sergeant is just that. And, um, since Rusty didn't get to, somebody needs to carry the torch and do that job. So I can call him when I have crazy stories and tell him all about how somebody called me at three o'clock in the morning and I was already awake because I'm not running. So Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that was a lot. So um, that's my my deciding points in my career and kind of my story in my career. So I'm sure we'll talk more about it because I know Rusty and I want to kind of go more de- more in depth about career stories. But yeah, because I mean, map, guys. <laughs> when it when it comes to like what I spoke about last episode and what Justice spoke about, I mean, you would think we told you our entire careers. Y- y'all just don't even know the half of it. Like, blip. yeah, I mean, th- those are specific instances, like actual points. That's why we call them deciding points because those decisions is what turned us into the next decision, what turned us into the next decision. You know, from everything that I could tell you that happened at Canon, could probably fill up 10 episodes if I really, really st- sat down and thought about it. <laughs> For everything that happened at Lake and Heath, which was only four years, I could probably fill up another 10 episodes. God, oh, I hated that place. Then we have our deployments. Like, guys, we have a lot, a lot more to share with you. I mean, it's, we have no shortages of instances we can talk through and describe and how we were probably young in our careers at the time, just, you know, little baby airmen and how leadership literally affected every step of our, our career. And at that point, when something happened, leadership either helped, you know, lifted us up 
or destroyed us because there was nothing else we could do given the fact that we were only just little airmen and not people that have been there, experienced, and had that leadership role as an NCO or a senior NCO. So we have plenty more to bring you guys. We're just excited to, you know, to start this little series that we weren't even planning because we feel like hearing these specific points that happened in both of our careers, how we handled it and how we approached it. And if we could think about it a little bit differently, putting our mindset back, you know, we would probably say, you know what? I probably shouldn't have been so emotional at the time and, and just jumped to a decision or, you know, I'm really happy that I made this decision because I really thought it through and it ended up working out way better than I hoped. And we all know you guys are going through or have been through or possibly will eventually go through these big deciding points. And this isn't, these aren't something you take lightly. And that's why we feel that starting and doing this series after, you know, just morphing into it is some really, really great info to bring you guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, if there's anything that anyone can take away from Rusty's story and my story and the stories that you're going to hear is failure is not final. You can always make it through adversity. Any decision that you make that doesn't turn out the way that you expected it to, maybe it turns out to be a complete shit show, that just makes you stronger. Like, going through, you know, talking about not making it through OCS, that was a very defining point for me. But again, it was one of those things that taught me I can deal with adversity. I can deal with getting the shit kicked out of me. I can deal with, you know, losing a relationship that I invested six years of my life into and dropped a, a major career milestone for. Um, it It's all a lesson and everything will get you to where you need to be, even if you don't see it. Yeah. And one thing that, you know, with my story that I hope really resonated with you guys is if you choose to leave military, if you choose to leave it behind, you might've had the aspiration and the drive and you're like, I want to stay in for my 20, I want to retire and stuff like that. And then you don't make it. You don't need to look at that as you failed. I mean, I don't look at it as I failed. Yeah, I wanted to do 20. I really wanted to make E7 and become a first sergeant. I really wanted to do a lot of things. But as time went on, my priorities changed. My life took different turns and, you know, and stuff like that. That So when you when your priorities change and your life starts to go a little bit different than you planned, and then you weigh it, you, you think about it, you logically plan it, and you make sure you have everything lined up, you choose to separate, and then you go, you make smart decisions. I got a job. I, you know, I, I did all these things, and I made sure that I was living my best life now that I've had. So I don't look at it as it that I didn't make it to 20 as a failure. I succeeded in my career, and I'm still succeeding in the fact of my post-career because I'm the happiest I've ever been. So I don't look at it as like, damn, I just really fucked up. I failed. I couldn't make it to 20. No, I'm, I'm happy with what I did. Been through a lot of bullshit, but 13 years, I mean, I, I got four college degrees. I met some of the most amazing people, even ones that promised to get out and come live over here with me and then change their mind. Hey, but, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I feel attacked seeing a, a just a good future out of that 
that does not make you a failure. All the military is for any of us is just a stepping stone into something else because we cannot stay in it forever. You know, there is a limit to our time for everybody. So it's only a stepping stone into something better. General Mad Dog Mattis went from a general to SecDef. See, he didn't stay in the military forever because he went from that stepping stone to being the baddest motherfucker in the Secretary of Defense. Okay, like you got to think about it. It does not matter how old or how long you've been. It's only a stepping stone because you cannot be in the military forever. That's absolutely true, man. Like, cause when I came in, you know, when we all come in young and stuff, we just think, fuck, 20 years is forever. And now next month is 17 years for me. And I'm like, where the fuck did the time go? Um, and you know, it's funny that you say it's a stepping stone because I remember when I came in, I actually have a friend of mine who's a senior now. Um, I'm sure she'll be a chief very soon, but she told me that when we were airmen. She was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do my four years. You know, the military is a stepping stone, right? And I was like, oh, I plan on doing 20 or whatever, right? Because I wanted to retire. And I've always kept that in the back of my mind. Um, and it's funny because she said that and now she's, you know, almost at 20. But, uh, you know, there's people who come in to do four and they do their four and they get out and get on them. There's people who do six, get out, get on them. And people who do 20 plus, you know, it, it's just, it. as I've always looked at it, as I've matured, if you're still having fun, keep at it. If you're not, and just like Rusty said, if it's not aligning with your priorities, it's okay to hang it up. Like, I would rather you be happy as a person than to be at work and be fucking miserable just so you can get your 20 done. Because just like Rusty said before, you're fucking worthless at that point. If you're not doing your job, you're not performing, like you're just dead weight. I need people who are motivated and want to be there. Because like I tell my people, if you don't want to be here, I'll help you not be here. Like, you ain't gonna hurt my feelings if you don't want to be in the Air Force anymore. Like, I got you. It's it's gonna be a paperwork trail, and you're probably not gonna be happy when you leave. Some of you may be escorted off, but I'll help you get out of the Air Force. But if you want to stay in, you want to be motivated, you want to do what you need to do, then I'm gonna take care of you in that regard, too. Regardless, I'm gonna take care of you. Taking care of you doesn't mean take care of you in a good way. It just means taking care of you. <laughs> Facts. I had to learn that, and that's a very yeah. tough lesson to learn as a leader. Mm -hmm. Well, Jess, any last-minute thoughts? Any last-minute little share story that maybe a little, little pick thing you, you want to throw out there? Or are you? Whew. Um. No, I think I think I hit everything. Um. I talked everybody's ear off. So I hope <laughs> that you know Rusty's story, my story, and the stories that you guys are going to hear resonates with someone. Because we want to make sure that we're out here putting our stories out to help somebody. Because yeah. I know there's got to be somebody who's been in my shoes who's been like, fuck, I'm going to go active duty, I'm going to go guard. Or, you know, what's it like going from guard to active duty? Because I've had some friends ask me that question. And now I can kind of put that out. It's not easy. Um, the Air yeah, Force. I heard it's ridiculously hard to come back on active duty. It is ridiculously hard. Um, and they are even more strict on you when you're coming back onto active duty because they know you got fucked up the first time. So it's a lot easier for non-prior service folks to get onto active duty than it is for us prior service folks to come back. Now, if you can do it, more power to you, but you have got to stay the fucking course. Do not give up. If that is what you plan to do, stay on it, do it, and see it to the end. Um, and, I mean, for my folks out there who are thinking about joining, 
like I said, it's going to be easier for you to do it now than it is later. So just do it while you're young. Um, regardless if you're single or you have a family, just do it while you're young and get it knocked out. It, it's There's a lot of shit that you're going to go through, but I promise you in the end it's worth it because you're going to get something out of it, even if it's my new. All right, guys. Thank you, Jess. We are very, very happy to finally understand why you've uh, taken about 18 U-turns in your in your career. <laughs> but um, I really thank you for sharing that. It's been, it's, I know it's resonating with somebody because every single one of us on active duty was always like, man, dude, probably should be guard. You know, like I, I thought about it since day one. And what's funny is until I got to basic training, I didn't know that there was an air guard. I only Dang, knew about the, really? I only knew about the Army National Guard because you see that everywhere. You don't see Air true. Guard advertised. You see yeah, National Guard true. advertised. So when people were saying, like, of course you know the reserves, but when people were saying, "Yeah, I'm Guard," I was like, "The fuck does that mean?" They're like, well, "I'm I'm I'm, a, I'm Air Guard." I was like, I, "What the hell is Air Guard?" I, I had no fucking idea. And half my flight in BNT was Guard. I had yeah. no idea what that was. And they're all. It doesn't matter. It didn't even matter what their job was. Every single one of them is getting 20 G uh, bonus once they get back to their unit. I'm like, what yep. the fuck am I doing? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The bonuses are pretty nice in the guard, depending on the job. Yeah, because it's so. the fucking state funded and not the government. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you again, Jess, for sharing your story. Guys, if you haven't listened to episode three, Mental Health Matters, um, you know, if you haven't listened to episode four, our special guest, Jeanette from the Navy, if you haven't listened to my episode, you know, I, I would say it was a pretty good episode, but you know, it's good. His own. I liked it. I liked yeah, it. I mean, to each his own, but guys, <laughs> one thing we really are going to keep harping on is go listen to episode three, mental health matters. If you don't listen to anything else in our podcast series, go listen to episode three. That's very important. Okay. Yes. Hey guys, don't you hate when technology decides it's not going to cooperate with you today? Well, that's exactly what happened at the end of this episode. To wrap up Rusty's closing comments, we want to thank you again for listening and thank you for the continued support. Don't forget to drop us a follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Also, go drop us a follow on Instagram at Common Warrior Podcast. Take care and we'll catch you on the next episode.